The second Bible reading comes from Isaiah chapter 23, verse 1 until 11. It can be found in the View Bible, page 683. Isaiah chapter 23, verse 1 till, 11, till 18, sorry. An oracle in Tyre. Wail, O ships of Tarshish, for Tyre is destroyed and left without house or harbor from the land of Cyprus, where it has come to them. Be silent, you people of the island, and you merchants of Sidon, whom the seafarers have enriched. O the great waters came the grain of the Shehor, the harvest of the Nile was the revenue of Tyre, and she became the marketplace of the nations. Be ashamed, O Sidon, and you, O fortress of the sea, for the sea has spoken. I have neither been in labor nor given birth. I have neither reared sons nor brought up daughters. When word comes to Egypt, they will be in anguish at the report from Tyre. Cross over to Tarshish, wail you people of the island. Is this your city of revelry, the old, old city whose feet have taken her to settle in far-off lands? Who plant this against Tyre, the bestower of crowns, whose merchants are princes, whose traders are renowned in the earth? The Lord Almighty planted to bring low the pride of all glory and to humble all who are renowned on the earth. Till your land, as long as the Nile, O daughter of Tarshish, for you no longer have a harbor. The Lord has scratched out his hand over the sea and made its kingdoms tremble. He has given an order concerning Phoenicia that her fortress be destroyed. He said, No more of your referring, O virgin daughter of Sidon, now crushed. Up cross over to Cyprus. Even there you will find no rest. Look at the land of the Babylonians, this people that is now of no account. The Assyrians have made it a place for desert creatures. They raised up their siege towers. They stripped its fortresses bare and turned it into a ruin. Wail, you ships, you ships of Tarshish, your fortress is destroyed. At that time, Tyre will be forgotten for 70 years, the span of a king's life. But at the end of these seventy years, it will happen to Tyre as in the song of the prostitute. Take up a harp, walk through the city, O prostitute forgotten. Play the harp well, sing many a song, so that you will be remembered. At the end of seventy years, the Lord will deal with Tyre. She will return to her higher with all the kingdoms on the face of the earth. Yet her profit and her earnings will be set apart for the Lord. They will not be stored up or hoarded. Her profits will go to those who live before the Lord for abundant food and fine clothes. Now we've heard the reading. Now, who reckons that was an easy chapter to understand? Yeah, I hear some laughs, which, which encourages me. <laughs> um, it's very easy often to, to sort of neglect how significant it is when we hear the Word of God read and taught because what happens each week as we gather as the people of God is that God speaks to us and when God speaks to us, 
It's a bit like heart surgery. He does something to our heart. He changes us so that hopefully under God, by the work of his spirit in us, our wills will be more closely aligned with the will of God, that our hearts would align more closely with the heart of God. So let's uh, pray once again that this heart surgery might happen to us this evening. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we know that these words were written long ago, but we know that they were written for our good. We pray, Lord, that you might do heart surgery in us this evening as we reflect on this passage in Isaiah, what it means for us. Give us open ears and hearts willing to be changed by it. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, many of you might not know, but this past week, uh, my family, Yvonne, our kids and myself, we went along to the ministry family camp. Now, what this camp is about, it's a camp organised by our denomination, that is the Presbyterian denomination in our state, for all the ministers and their families in our state of Victoria. Now, do you know how many Presbyterian churches there are in our state? Any guesses? 150? Hopefully we'll get there one day. It's, it's about 100. We've got about 100 churches in our state. And so many of those ministers and their families, we came together at a campsite at Forest Edge, and it was a good time, an opportunity for us to be nourished as those who serve in churches, as ministers of the gospel and our families who serve along with us. It was a good opportunity for us to be nourished, but also a good opportunity for us to be in fellowship with each other, to, to join in with fellow Christians and ministers in our state and it was encouraging because we were reminded that though we all serve in all these various churches in the different corners of our state we're part of the one church of Christ we serve together with the same purpose of proclaiming Christ to this world serving honoring the same God and so it was a good time of fellowship we got to spend time in prayer for each other and our various ministries and families and over the few days, our, our fellowship with the many ministers and families, we got to hear many good stories. Many churches in the different corners of our state are doing quite well. Their families are well, uh, families healthy, ministries going well, people are coming to church, there is growth in, in conversion and, and, and edification, people are being built up. But we also heard many difficult stories, stories of ministers and their families in our state doing it really tough really really tough uh, struggling with health issues in the family children with health issues wives with health issues even ministers with health issues but also struggling with just ministry ministry in church where they work so hard but yet see so little fruit and so over this camp hearing these stories and also thinking about this chapter Isaiah 23 and preparing this sermon, it got me reflecting. It allowed me opportunities to reflect. Why is it that so many of these ministers, and many of them, they persevere, even though life is difficult, even though ministry is difficult? They persevere, they keep on going and going and going. Why? Well, the answer, the only answer, is that they know where their treasures lie. Don't, they know where their heart is at. And so it got me to reflect as well. What about my own heart? What about my own treasures? Where are my treasures? Where is my heart? And that's the question I'd like us all to consider this evening. 
every single one of us. Where is our heart? What am I living for? Where are my treasures? What treasures am I storing? And it'll be good for us all to consider our own hearts this evening and to think, what am I living for? Because wouldn't you say it's so very easy? We heard about the seminar we're about to run, but it's so very easy to forget what our treasures should be as Christians, especially in our society where we're so constantly influenced by our world to treasure the things of this earth, to pursue earthly treasures. We're bombarded with advertisements after advertisements to, to have more and to get more and to experience more. And I feel this as, a, as, as big pressure upon myself and my family as well. I'm no different to you. I experience just what you experience. And I experience it in our household. Past, this past week on the Thursday it was my youngest son's birthday. This coming Tuesday uh, will be my oldest son's birthday. So they're very close, only a few days apart. We timed it well so that we only have to organise one birthday party. But if I were to say, knowing our culture, that everyone's saying, you know, pursue these earthly riches. If I were to say to my boys on their birthday, for your birthday present, Daddy and Mummy, we're going to do something very special for you. We are going to love you even more. We're going to care for you even more. Do you think that will go down well for them? You know, no, don't worry about earthly treasures. Forget presents. We'll love you more. Do you think that will go down well? Or with little boys? Or what if we were to say, what if for this next year we'll buy you a new set of school uniforms? How about that for birthday presents? But, but you see, the influence is everywhere. We're all bombarded. Our kids, young, old, we're wanting stuff. We're told to pursue earthly treasures. Now, that doesn't mean we can't enjoy the good things that comes from God. All good things comes from God to be received with thankfulness, and we are to praise God for that. But it shouldn't be where our hearts lie. Now, for our boys, we've got them something anyway. We, you know, we gave in, and we know what they want. It's hidden away. They don't know what it is. But it's not where our hearts must lie. But it is, in fact, how cities are built, how cities flourish, how cities grow strong and powerful. It's, in fact, how our city of Melbourne thrived in the 1850s. Now, you know why Melbourne thrived during that time. It was the pursuit of earthly riches, of earthly treasures. It was the gold rush. What happened during the 1850s, the population of this colony expanded from 80,000 people to 300,000 people very quickly because everyone was coming by ship, by carriage, to find gold. And by 1889, Melbourne's population at that time swelled to 445,000 people. At that time, it was the second largest city in the British Empire. Melbourne, the second largest after only London. And during the boom, Melbourne became, at that time, the richest city in the world. Surprising, isn't it? But it shouldn't be. Even today, Australians are one of the richest people in the world. Do you know that? You are amongst the richest in the world, the wealthiest in the world. According to the Global Wealth Report, 
Australians are ranked number two in the world after only Switzerland. The average wealth of an Australian adult is about $570,000. How many adults here? Most of us. How many of us have that much? I don't know where they got this stat from, but we are the second richest in the world. Australia also attracts more millionaire migrants than any other country in the world. Australia, we, we attract 10,000 millionaires a year compared to only 9,000 going to the US. Now again, of course, there's nothing wrong with being wealthy and having, having the good things that comes from God, but it must be remembered and recognised that it is the gift of God to be received with thankfulness. But once in a while, it is worth us allowing God to do some heart surgery on us. And so this evening, it is worth us reflecting. What am I living for? What are you living for? Just like the world, just like our city, just like our country. Where does your heart lie? Where are your treasures that you are storing up? Because what we'll see today is that if we are foolish enough and pursue the wrong things in this world, it's not just a bad idea. We face the judgment of God. It is serious. You see, the pursuit of earthly treasures is not a new thing. It is not unique to Melbourne nor Australia. It has been the condition of the human heart, generation after generation. And that is what we see in this passage. It, it, it was typified by this city of Tyre that we're looking at in Isaiah 23. Now, now keep your Bibles open to Isaiah 23. We'll be working through that chapter. But just to get our bearings, remember what we've been seeing so far. In Isaiah so far, Isaiah is giving a panoramic view of the judgment of God upon all the nations. It's going around and saying it's bad news for everyone. So remember this map. It was bad news in chapter 13 for Babylon, for the Philistines, bad news. 15, Moab, bad news. Damascus up north, bad news. Cush and Egypt and even the people of God. Last week we heard bad news for them too. Judgment is coming. And today, tie up there by the coast, modern day Lebanon. What's worth knowing about Tyre was that during that time that Isaiah was speaking, they were an extremely wealthy island city in the ancient world. Tyre was the centre of commerce and trade in the Mediterranean. It's because it, it had two natural harbours. And when you have harbours, it means that you can have a port for ships. And so they had a fleet of merchant ships doing trade all around the Mediterranean. They would go to Cyprus and Egypt and even all the way to Spain. It's a bit like how, how Australia was set up. Do you notice that the capital cities in Australia are set up along the coast? Along the coast where there are ports because when you can trade, that brings in wealth, brings in commerce. All the capital cities except one. Which one? Which one? Canberra, that was an accident, right? It should have been Melbourne. But anyway, <laughs> Canberra, the only one that's landlocked. But Tyre back then, a powerful, a fortified city 
with walls, it's an island city, with walls about 50 metres high above the sea. And so you can just sense this was a powerful city with prominence, with wealth. In fact, it was the king from this city that provided King Solomon with cedar logs and architects for the building up of the first temple. And so in the ancient world, it was the financial capital. Think ancient New York. That's Tyre. And so it was a city in pursuit of earthly treasures. That sound okay? But what did God think about it? Well, it was to be a hopeless pursuit. The city will be destroyed as wealthy and rich and powerful you might be. The city will be destroyed. And what that means is that the merchant ships out in the Mediterranean, they will have no home to return to. Look at verse 1 with me. An oracle concerning Tyre. Wail, O ships of Tarshish, for Tyre is destroyed and left without house or harbour. You notice that? If your harbour, if your city is destroyed, it is bad news. It is bad news for the ships, but it is also bad news for the nations they were trading with. For Egypt here, for Spain. Look at verses 5 and 6 now. When word comes to Egypt, they will be in anguish at the report of Tyre. Cross over to Tarshish, wail you people of the island. And so the fall of Tyre, the fall of this centre of commerce, had economic ramifications all across the Mediterranean. It's a bit like the Wall Street crash in 1929. Remember that? None of us. But in, believe it or not, in 1929, Wall Street crashed and it led to the Great Depression. In Australia, in the US, and pretty much every country was affected by the, by the Great Depression. Or more recently, the global financial crisis in 2008. Four countries are still in recession because of that crisis. It had economic ramifications all over. And so here, their pursuit of wealth and earthly treasures, which was meant to give them a sense of security. We're powerful enough, we've got enough money, we can care for ourselves, we can be independent. God says, it's a hopeless pursuit. It will not protect you. But now we want to ask, why did they experience that? Why was the pursuit of wealth and riches such a bad thing? Well, that's the question being asked now. Look at verse 8. Who planned this against Tyre, the bestower of crowns, whose merchants are princes, whose traders are renowned in the earth? Who? I mean, they're, they're prestigious, they're renowned, they're powerful, they're the elite of the world. But yet, as powerful as they were, they will be destroyed. But of course, the question remains, by whom? We all know that if you read history, if you like your history, nations and kingdoms rise and fall all the time. The Assyrians, the Babylonians, the Greeks, the Persians, the Mongolians, the Russians, the Ottoman Empire, they all ended. We don't always know why, but here we're told why. Why Tyre will be destroyed. We're not always told why, but here we're told why. It is by the hand of God. It is the judgment of God upon their pride. 
Remember the theme of our, of our series. You know, it seems like if we just look at the world and the world looks around, it seems like it's, it's the rulers of our world who rule the world. The presidents, the kings, the emperors of the past. But this series is to remind us that God is the supreme king over all. And have a look at verse 9. It is God. The Lord Almighty planned it to bring low the pride of all glory and to humble all who are renowned on the earth. But wouldn't you be asking here, why would God do such a thing? Why would God do such a thing to them? Is pride really that bad? Weren't they just getting on with life and business and just trying to make a life for themselves? They're getting wealthy. That's a good thing. Why would God do such a thing? But here's the thing with pride. Pride, human pride, is always an affront to God. It is always an offense to God. It is never light. It is never meaningless. And pride always comes hand in hand with wealth. Just reflect on your own experience. Always comes hand in hand with wealth. The wealthier I am, the more entitled I feel. Do you feel that? The more money you get, you feel more entitled. Or the more self-sufficient self I'm led to believe the wealthier I am. And that leads to the less relevant God becomes. Wealth and pride, they come hand in hand. And that's why C.S. Lewis, he said this of pride. He said, If your pride causes you to exalt yourself, you are painting a target on your back and inviting God to open fire. And he will. For he has declared his determination to bring it low wherever he finds it, whether among angels or humans, Believers or unbelievers, it was pride that caused Lucifer to be cast out of heaven and Adam and Eve to be cast out of Eden. And it is pride that will be our undoing if we tolerate it in our lives. You see, pride is always an offense to God. And that was the problem with this city of Tyre. The pursuit of wealth, which puffed them up in their pride, brought upon themselves the judgment of God. And here we're told it is severe. As powerful they stood in the ancient world, it will be destroyed by God. Look at verse 11. The Lord has stretched out his hand over the sea and made its kingdoms tremble. He has given an order concerning Phoenicia and their fortresses be destroyed. It was God who gave the command. And what happens when God gives the command? It will happen, and it did happen by the hands of the Assyrians. Look at what they did, verse 13 to 14. Look at the land of the Babylonians, this people that, now of no, that is now of no account. The Assyrians have made it a place for desert creatures. They raised up their siege towers, they stripped its fortresses bare, and turned it into a ruin. Wail, you ships of Tarshish. Your fortress is destroyed. God will judge them. God will bring them low. You're proud? Well, no longer. You will be humbled. And historically, it did happen. 
But it wasn't easy to destroy this powerful city, city island. Their fortress was so strong, they were, in the ancient world, virtually invincible. It was very hard to defeat them and attack them. But in 701 BC, the Assyrian king Sennacherib, he devastated the mainland and he did vast damage to their trade. But then they were attacked again. They were late, um, Bab the Babylonian king Nebuchadnezzar laid siege to it for 13 years. But it was in 332 when Alexander the Great eventually, what he did was to attack and destroy this city. It was very hard to destroy because it was an island city with high fortress walls. What he did was he joined the island to the mainland by building a causeway, an 800-metre causeway across so that his soldiers could walk across and take, take it over. That's what it was. Back then, that's what Tyre looks like to today. It's all joined up to the mainland. And so the pursuit of earthly treasures, it was a hopeless cause for them. Though they thought this is going to protect us, it'll be fine, we've got money, we've got power. But they brought upon themselves the judgment of God. But just like what we've been seeing each week, there is judgment, each nation that we've been looking at, they're being judged by God, which means and which reminds us everyone and every nation is accountable to God. There will be judgment. But yet each week, do you notice, there's always that little glimmer of hope. And we see hope here as well. There is hope in the midst of judgment. We're told here they will suffer for 70 years. And after that, they'll be like prostitutes again to the nations again which means they'll do anything for money. Commerce without morals. So look at verse 17. At the end of 70 years, the Lord will deal with Tyre. She'll return to her hire as a prostitute and will ply her trade with all the kingdoms on the face of the earth. Now this seems to suggest Tyre will just return to its old ways of pursuing earthly treasures. But you... Do you notice what was mentioned next? What will happen to all their wealth? Well, they don't get to keep it. It goes back to God. It goes back to the giver. It goes back to those who belong to God. Look at our final verse. Verse 18. Yet her profit and her earnings will be set apart for the Lord. They will not be stored up or hoarded. Her prophets will go to those who live before the Lord for abundant food and fine clothes. Now, what do you think that means? The treasures of Tyre coming back to God. I found this quite hard to make sense of. But on one level, historically, something like that did happen. When the Assyrian king Sennacherib in 701, when he devastated the trade, after 70 years, it was 70 years, with the decline of Assyria, Tyre was able to trade again and make some money again. And so when the second temple was being built, it was Tyre who again provided the cedar logs and masonries and carpenters. And so in one sense, their, their treasures did go to the building of the temple of God. But then on another level... This is interesting. If Ty was known here and caught a prostitute, 
She, she goes in the streets singing the prostitute song, as we read here. In Mosaic law, if you are a prostitute, then your offerings, your earnings, they're detestable to God. God will not receive it. If, you're, if, you're, if you, you got your money through dirty ways, immoral ways, God does not want it. It is detestable. But what happened here with Tyre's earnings? What we see here is that their earnings will be acceptable to God. They'll be set apart for God. Now, what do you think that might suggest? Well, I think that's where the little glimmer of hope lies. A little hint, a little glimmer of hope that perhaps that suggests Tyre one day will also be incorporated into the people of God, just like Egypt and Assyria the other week. Their offerings will one day be acceptable, which perhaps hints at the fact that they one day will be acceptable as well. In fact, we know today that the population of Tyre today, about 10% of them are Christians. But the lesson of Isaiah here to the people of God is clear, and it is relevant to us today as well. Remember, Isaiah is speaking not to the nations, but he's speaking to the people of God. He's speaking to those who belong to God, and he's saying, you know that, that, that city tie up in the north? Don't be like them in pursuing wealth, because it is a hopeless pursuit. Don't be like them, because they're bringing upon themselves the judgment of God. Don't you do that as well. You see, Isaiah is speaking to the people of God. Don't pursue earthly treasures like them. But of course, that's the way of the world. And it's the way of Australia today. It's really no different to Tyre. Pursuing earthly treasures, pursuing wealth in this world, it's, it's the same. It's the same human heart. Currently, if, you have been, if you're in the finance sector or if you've been reading the newspapers, the Banking Royal Commission that's happening at the moment, what does it teach us about the human heart? Well, it teaches us that there is the pursuit of wealth and riches and it's insatiable. What have the banks done? What have their problems been? Well, in their pursuit of wealth, they would even put profits ahead of people. Is that hard to believe that our banks would do that? Surely they should care for us more, right? Of course not. They charge fees even for the dead. They give cash bribes. They would reward staff for channeling funds into their own products. They deny legitimate insurance claims. They rigged interest rates. They flaunted anti-money laundering legislation. And why have the banks done that? What does that show about our nation, our people? Well, the commissioner, Commissioner Hain, he said, the answer is simply greed. It was the problem of the GFC as well. It was greed. Commissioner Hain, he said in one of the papers, he said, the pursuit of short-term profit at the expense of basic standards of honesty. It's hard to digest, but it should be expected. It is the problem and the condition of the human heart. Even AMP, AMP, we've heard of that, Australian Mutual Providence Society, which it was once called. It was in fact started in 1849 as an evangelical Australian organisation. 
many of its founders and early directors were not just any type of Christian, but evangelical Christian. They started that for the good of society. But today, they're also caught up in the mess of this banking royal commission. But what we're told here in Isaiah is that this should be expected. That is the human heart, just like attire, condition of the human heart, pursuing riches and wealth in this world, to think that by wealth I don't need God, to think that by wealth I can live independent of God, hoping that in my riches I can find comfort and security and assurance. And what does God call that? God calls that pride. And if we have pride, the target is on us. And that hasn't changed. And so if that is the way of the world, from Tyre to every generation to today in Australia, if we are not to pursue earthly treasures, what are we to pursue then? Well, we know the answer, don't we? 700 years after Isaiah, another man, who went around not speaking merely the words of God, but was himself the word of God in the flesh, Jesus Christ, the Son of God. He did teach like Isaiah. You cannot trust in your wealth and riches. It cannot save you. You can only trust in God. But he also taught beyond Isaiah. He said, don't pursue earthly treasures, but live and pursue for heavenly treasures. And so in our first reading from Matthew 6, Jesus showed another way of living. The way of the world is pursuing the stuff of this world, but there is another way of living, a better way of living. Jesus said, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moth and rust do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will also be. And what is this treasure? Well, the treasure are the things of the kingdom of God. And that's what Jesus went on to say. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you, will be given to you as well. If you seek heavenly treasures, you don't need to worry about earthly stuff. God will provide that. He provides for the birds. He cares for the flowers. Of course, he will care for you. The, treasure are, the treasures are the things that will last into eternity. And of course, the ultimate treasure that Jesus was getting at is Jesus Christ himself. He himself treasured us so much that he would even stretch out his arm and bleed for us. And so he says, treasure him. Trust in him and you'll get eternal life. Proclaim him and you get to share with others eternal life. And so now the question I asked us all at the beginning, for us to do a bit of heart surgery, where does our hearts lie? Where do our hearts lie? What are our treasures? What are we living for? What is it that you're living for? For stuff like Tyre or for God? For my kingdom, for your kingdom or for God's kingdom? For earthly treasures or for heavenly treasures? You see, our wealth cannot save us. 
It couldn't save Tyre. And so we don't live like we trust in our possessions. It was the missionary and martyr Jim Elliot who said, He is no fool who gives what he cannot gain. Who, sorry, I'll repeat that. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. It's a wonderful quote, isn't it? Why keep it? Why keep it if you cannot hold it for eternity? And so this past week on this camp, it got me reflecting once again. And hopefully it will get us reflecting again this evening. Where is my heart? What are my treasures? What is it that I'm living for? What is it that you're living for? And at this camp, I was convicted once again to be reminded, hearing stories from the, these ministers, convicted again, what is it that I'm living for? And, and it's a bit like when you're convicted by God, he takes your heart and he sort of pokes at you. Be convicted, be convicted. Hearing stories of how ministers, they, they do it tough. Lots, lots of, I mean, we're, we're healthy and we praise God for that. But when life is normal, we don't see the wonderful blessings. But so many have just chronic health issues and, and it's hard to deal with. Chronic health issues in their family, it's just hard, hard to persevere. But they do persevere. Persevere in faithfulness, working hard, working tirelessly for what's sake. Because they know where their hearts lie. Their treasures are in heaven. They do it for the sake of the kingdom of God. And also on this camp, we heard many stories from missionaries who were there joining us. And again, convicted again by them. Convicted and reminded, I must be living for the same thing as them. I must never lose sight of the kingdom of God and of Christ my treasure. There was a particular missionary from South Sudan who studied in Egypt and, and now is an Australian citizen, but he's a... He's a missionary who's gone back to the South Sudanese refugees who are living in Ethiopia. And I, find, I found that profound. I mean, he's already left the country. He's in Australia. He lived here. But yet he would go back to the refugee camp to reach the people there. I found that profound. Why would you do such a thing? But he, he shared off his story and he shared off the need in this camp in Ethiopia. This refugee camp, the refugee camps there, they house more than 385,000 South Sudanese refugees. That's almost 400,000 people. Imagine that number. And amongst them, 100,000 of them belong to the Presbyterian Church of South Sudan. 100,000. That's a lot of people, a lot of Christians in these refugee camps. That's, in fact, more than about double all the Presbyterians in the whole of Australia. There's only about 50,000. And so he shared this story and he shared of their need. Now, when you're in a refugee camp, what do you expect them to need? Water and food and clothing. But the need of the people there, they're asking not for those things, they're asking for Bibles. I found that, wow, convicting. That's what they want. They don't have Bibles. They can't afford it. And so an effort from our denomination has been to provide 33,000 Bibles for them. So far, only 6,600 has been raised. But it reminded me again, 
What are they living for even in the refugee camp? They don't have much, but yet they just want the word of God. They're longing to, to, to seek first the kingdom of God. And so when that was being shared, I, I quietly said to Yvonne, you know, wouldn't that be a nice place to visit? To see the hunger for the word of God there. To see what they're doing. There was another missionary family who shared of their story. And again, convicted, you know, getting the heart and pricking at it. It was extraordinary. A family with two young girls, and they'll remain nameless. I'll tell you why in a moment. Two young girls, younger than our kids. They've been in the mission field for 10 years. They were working to reach the Ouija people in Western China. They're the people that the main Chinese people don't really like. But they're mainly predominantly a Muslim group of people. And this family has been working with them, learning their language and trying to reach them with the gospel for many years. But this year, they were discovered by the authorities and they were questioned for 17 days. They've got two little girls. And eventually what happened was that they were kicked out of China, banned from ever returning, and many of their possessions confiscated. Now they're back in Melbourne on home assignment with no place to go yet. They've got a place to live, but no place in the future to go. And so we got to spend some time in prayer with them. And, and what's their prayer point? Their prayer point was that though they're banned from the country, they still want to see the people there. They still want to see the Ouija people knowing Christ. And so their, their future's open. They're, they're praying, you know, the future, whatever God would have us do. It reminded me again, what are they living for? And what am I living for? And so what must we live for as people of God? Hopefully God is doing some work in our heart, convicting us. What is it that we're living for? Treasures in this world that is fleeting, will die, we cannot take it away with us, or treasures in heaven? Well, our treasure must be Christ himself. We can live for Christ. And it is a privilege, a joy, and an honor to do it. And we can. Let that be us. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we pray, Heavenly Father, that you might continue to help us see in our heart of hearts how futile it is to live for things of this world which are all fleeting. Help us to see the foolishness of trusting in anything in this world. Instead, we pray, Lord, that you'll continue to convict our hearts that we might treasure the things of heaven, the things of your kingdom, and to live for Christ our Saviour. And we pray in his name. Amen.